Well, this evening I want to just begin by sharing with you a story that is told by a New Testament scholar who's the Bishop of Durham. His name is N.T. Wright. And um, he tells about the late English journalist Bernard Levine, who probably is familiar with Austin, an English journalist of, of, of renown, who at a very young age had a very difficult experience in... Levine tells this story, and, and he talks about this celebrity who had come to his school, and, and, and Bernard was just a little boy at that time, and the headmaster, which would be kind of the principal in our settings and schools, wanted to impress this celebrity, so he thought he'd have one of his star students, those bright students, you know, come forward and, and answer a few questions from the platform, so these kids are out there, and he brings them up, and the celebrity wanting to be kind in front of the students, asked a simple question to little Bernard. He said, uh, what young man did you have for breakfast? And, and that, that seemed like an, an easy answer for a little loving. He, he, he quickly replied, matzo brai. And matzo brai is a Central European uh, Jewish dish. It actually tastes good. Unlike the typical Norwegian dish called lutefisk, <laughs> which in the original Norwegian language, I don't know if you're familiar with this, I've done some work on this, it, it, it translates really, really rotten tasting fish soaked in lye to preserve it as they traveled across the Atlantic Ocean to Ellis Island. Now, yeah, and I know you're laughing, but if you, it sounds like a mouthful, but if you look up in Wikipedia, which is the source of all knowledge these days, it is the standard definition, really, really rotten tasting fish. Because I think it's one of those dishes you have to, you almost have to get a taste for you. You need to acquire it. And what's really interesting is even dogs will not beg for that food. <laughs> How many just love your lutefisk? Be, be bold. Raise your hand. Yes. There's just a few here. I'm so sorry for you. But anyway. <laughs> Matzavrai. This Central European Jewish dish is made of fried egg with matzo wafer, wafers and brown sugar and cinnamon. And Bernard's immigrant mother would make this dish, even though they have already left the continent and they were in, in, in England, she would continue to make it, just like many immigrants would do. You know, they take the standard dish that they're used to and they would bring it over and they would continue to, to do that. And so to little Bernard, who is being asked this question, it was, to him, a perfectly ordinary word for a perfectly ordinary meal, breakfast. So the celebrity, ignorant of such a dish, thinks he must have misheard this little guy, so he asks the question again. And so young Bernard, he's a little puzzled now and quite anxious, and so he gives the same answer. Matzo brai. Well, the celebrity looks concerned, glances over at the headmaster who shrugs his shoulders because he's not even familiar with the word. So the headmaster decides to give it a try and he, he thinks, you know, he'll kind of adopt this kind of, this little, their, their little fella tone. And he asks him one more time, Bernard, when you got up this morning, you know, when you were on your way and you had breakfast and, and you know, you ate what your mom, what did you have to eat? <laughs> and this, at this point, you know, Bernard's completely shaken He's just a little kid. He's not knowing what he should do, wondering if there's something wrong. He bursts into tears, and he answers once again, Matzo Brai. And the celebrity and the headmaster exchange glances, and they look at little Levin, and they guide him back to his seat. 
And Bernard tells this story later on and says, nothing else was said of it, but for the rest of my life, that little incident just kind of replayed itself from time to time. Now, you may have had an experience like that. I, I myself um, had one of those kind of experiences when I was a, a four-year-old, and I had one of those late birthdays in December in Minnesota. At that time, you would enter into, you had a choice to enter into kindergarten, so I am this four-year-old. I'm in kindergarten, and it came to the day when you had to count to 100. You've been practicing this, and I'd been practicing it. And I was, in front of my teacher, I was nervous, but I was doing really well. 72, 73, 74, 75, and then I went blank. And I was flooded with this sense of you know, fear and, and shame. And, and, and to this day, I, can, I, I know what that flooded experience is. And you probably, some of you have had that experience. Some call it test anxiety. And I was there, and I, and I couldn't remember it. And, and it, you know, until later, you know, I, I realized, yes, 75, 77, of course, comes after. You know, but, but that little word, Matsubari, this little word spoken by Bernard to a couple of uncomprehending adults. The word is spoken, and they don't get it. They can't even receive it, and they eventually bring him to his seat. And it all reminds me so much, in some ways, of the beginning of this gospel of John. Because that's kind of what John is making a point about. He begins and says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you may have heard this before, and you go, Yeah, but what? I get it. Okay, everything in the church is Jesus, but, so, but what, a, what is this Word? You may be thinking about that. And, and then he goes on in verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. And in fact, John tells us even in that day when the word came, the adults of that generation didn't seem to really get it. It says that through him the word, all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was the life, and that life was the light of man. And that light, this word, this child Jesus, shines in the darkness, but the darkness couldn't comprehend it, couldn't understand it in some ways wanted to overwhelm it and sit it in a corner and set it down. And John goes on a little bit further in in, in verse 10 and 11, and he says, He, this word, this child which we celebrate at Christmas, was in the world and through the world was made through him. And, And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, didn't get it, didn't comprehend it. And he came to that which was his own, but his own, they couldn't receive it. He even spoke their language. He came fulfilling all kinds of things that had been written about him in the Old Testament. Types that were found in the law, signs pointing to him through the sacrifices, prophecies spoken by prophets. And yet the word was not understood and couldn't be comprehended. And like that headmaster and celebrity shrugging their shoulders, kind of dumbfounded. And it tells us that even in his day, people just didn't get it and couldn't quite comprehend and in this 18-verse prologue, John is saying in some ways here two things. Really, if you looked at this, as we've talked about it on Sunday mornings, it's almost 200 or more things. But we're going to stay focused and just look at this little aspect of what is the Word. But here are two things he kind of says simultaneously. First, that the incarnation of the eternal Word 
is the event for which whole creation, all of creation, had been on tiptoe waiting for. Like a baby soon to be born, there was a sense of great expectation. There was this great sense of excitement. There was this sense that even in Christ's day, in fact, if you look at historically at that time, many messiahs were popping up. The world was on foot, kind of waiting expectantly, anticipating something to be spoken for someone to come. And then secondly... Think about this. Even the carefully prepared people of God themselves, whom for generations and generations he'd been teaching them the language of this word. Even these carefully prepared people of God themselves aren't quite ready for the event. And when this simple word is spoken, is given birth, they look at one another dumbfounded. They don't get it. They can't receive it. They can't comprehend it. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I don't know if you're kind of wondering in some ways even today, you know, Christmas is really cool. I love Christmas and, and it's really wonderful, all the stuff around it. But sometimes when I come to this point and we come to this you know, whole thing about the child being born in a manger, I get kind of the stories and I get it up here even somewhat intellectually. But you know what? I just have never, it doesn't really always click in here. It may not make full sense. And you know, I have to tell you, if you're in a place like that, that's a good place to be. If you're in a place of curiosity, to say, I would like to comprehend, I'd like to understand, I'd like to know. And you don't even have to be a place, you, you, words sometimes have a richness in, in layers of meaning to it. And you may say, well, I kind of get the story, but God might be leading you to even a greater depth and understanding that is not just even your head, but now gets life worked out into your life in a greater degree than it has in the past. And so this word's for you. This word at Christmas is about you and for you and, and meant for you to comprehend and receive. So what you have in this picture is this picture of this word coming. And I, I remember when I, um, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. In fact, my father was a pastor for many years, of, of, especially in my growing up years. And I remember at times in services like this, I remember at times when people would stand up and they would talk about what God had done in their life and they would speak of words like grace and they would say with such emotion, and they would be tearful. And I would, I would kind of go, well, that's a really cool word, but I don't really get it fully. They speak about words like mercy, or they speak about Jesus in such a way that it seemed far more intimate and deeper than I quite knew. And you may be there. You may be, and I hope you are, pushing in seeking to comprehend further. I hope you're not stuck and stop. No matter where you're at in your faith journey, I hope you're kind of pushing into this, saying, I want to receive more. And I can promise you, if you're in that place, often when there's no sight, eventually becomes insight. Because the heart that is in faith, stretching, seeking, God begins to reveal. So I want to share with you just in a few minutes, just to explain a little bit about what this word is and, and tell you a little bit about this word. First of all, the word is special because it comes from God himself. You, know, you have to think about it. When, when you think about a word, a word that is uttered, here's what's so cool about this word. It actually comes from God himself. It comes from the one who is the creator, the sustainer, the maker, the life giver. It's not merely from some guys who decided to sit down and go, you know, we walked with this guy for a number of years, so at least let's write something about him. It's not really given in one sense from some people who really 
wanted to prove something. It's not about some laws and rules and formulas or stories that are found in a book. It's not even really about this book, although we call this the word. This is the word that points to the word, and the word is this Christ child, Jesus, who has come to speak to you. And it comes from him. A few weeks back, um, my daughter... I didn't tell you to do this, but anyway, uh, my daughter, and now they're both going, which one of it is this? Who had finished all her work in grad school. She's in a physician assistant program, and she had all these exams and, and all these papers, and she finally got her diploma, and I'm going, that's so cool. And then I realized when she shared with us that she had one more big step. She had to pass this exam for physician assistants that if you didn't pass it, you couldn't be certified to actually serve. So you go through all this school, you get all this degree, and you get all this stuff, and it's kind of like for a lawyer, you get to do the bar exam, right? And I'm going, oh, man. And if she doesn't pass it, she's going to wait three months. And just, I'm, inside of me, I'm going, I wish I could just write on a piece of paper, you're really a wonderful child, you've done incredibly good, you've got the degree, and I want you to go out and practice your medicine, sign Kevin. Dad. Well, I know that sounds silly, but what is really interesting about that is I could do all that and it would be really wonderful, you know, expression of my heart and my love, but it's really just come from me because she could walk into a, a, an office for a job and they would look at it and laugh because what they're looking for is not a word from her dad. They're looking for a word that comes from one who has authority who can say this person can do what they're certified to do. The word, Jesus, a child, grows and expresses all his life before us. And all throughout it, he talks about his authority. He talks about his authority, that it has come from the Father, that he and the Father are the one. And this, this man, Jesus, has been given authority. And the word that he utters to you, the words that he see, you see in his life, are spoken for you, and they're from God for you. And not only this, the second thing I want to share with you is not only from God, it's from his heart. It wasn't some kind of mass mailing. Think about it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like some Christmas cards you received from your, your car dealer, right? Or, or some of you, you know, even better, from your tax accountant, who kind of setting you up for April, right? It, it, it's not some, even some person. He didn't send some representative. It, it's, it's from God, and it's not only from God, but it's from his heart. It's God himself appearing in a word to speak to you. And what is this word? It comes from God. It comes from his heart. What is this word? This word, this word is, is, is a sense of the fullness of who God is being revealed in all of his life, which we see recorded in the Gospels that reveals all of God to you. It is God in flesh appearing. So what is this word? Just bear with me for a moment. In the Greek, the word they use is the word lagos. And that word is an important word in that day. It was important both theologically for understanding God, but it was also important philosophically. You know how they have on TV sometimes, or they'll have on the, some of the morning talk shows or things, things that are trending? John was writing about 80 AD, and there was a word that was trending at that time. 
And the word that was trending is this word, lagos. It was the perfect word to explain this God in his fullness. So for the Hebrew mind, it was a theological word, and it really wasn't tough for them to understand that because they understood that when the word, when God spoke and he spoke, this word happened. So that if he said, let there be light, light occurred. They understood the word when the word was spoken. And if he said there'd be a mountain, there'd be a mountain, or there'd be a bird, there'd be a bird. You see, the Jewish mind, and for the Jewish people, they didn't need an explanation specifically about this word because the phrase, the word of the Lord, appeared so many times in the Old Testament, and the word of the Lord was simply the revelation of God. Whenever it was spoken of, they understood this is God revealing something about himself to us personally from his heart. And you wouldn't know anything about God if he didn't speak. They understood that. And that's why Hebrews 1 begins this way. God, who in the time past by the fathers through the prophets spoke in many ways and in many portions, has in these last days spoken a word to us, the word being his son. Well, now to the Greek mind, it was trending also in that culture, the philosophical word to them. They had many different gods, but they also had this understanding that this God, there was this, this aspect called the logos, which was the reason which mediated creation itself and sustained creation. It brought order to creation. They had all these gods doing all these messy things, but they understood there needed to be something that was creative and sustained it. And so they talked about this lagos. And they had this understanding of this kind of perfect world, of this platonic world and this non-platonic world where, where it was messy and, and, and those two didn't touch. And so this mediating word here would somehow not touch this filthy world and this word would give life to this down here, that which it couldn't touch. And so they had this idea of this deep separation of this creative and sustaining word of God. And so the philosophers, they talked about Lagos as the reality that was visible in creation. They believed in the Lagos spirit, some non-personal power source is what they thought, saw it as. Some abstract kind of principle or, or, or principle of order or structure that kind of floated around the universe bringing forth creation, sustaining it all at the same time. And then John comes along with this trending word, and he says, let me introduce to you the fact that the Lagos is not an impersonal force. Okay, so the Jewish mind gets it now to all those non-Jews. He's saying, let me tell you something about this word. The Lagos is a person. The Lagos is a person, not an impersonal reality, but a personal God who has come into this world in the man Jesus to express his heart to you. Not just a concept we're talking about here, but we're talking about a person who left that ideal world to come into this place of a manger. And this God who has come into a manger in a messy stable who would humble himself in such a way, this God who would speak this word also would love to speak his word into your heart, into the messy places of your life and my life, that he might bring light and life and love and order and sustain things and to move in your heart and life. That's what Christmas is about. It's about God in flesh speaking his word to you, coming from God, from his heart, and speaking out life and love and the reality of a person who reveals the heart of God. Now, the best way I can explain this is this. If you wanted to know my heart right now, you could look at me all you want. And you could be wondering what's going on there, right? And I can have thoughts going on. Like, boy, these people look really good. Or, boy, these people can't wait to get home and eat. 
I mean, you don't know what it is unless I take these thoughts and put them into words so that you can hear and understand what's in my heart. And if you trust that I'm a person of integrity, that which I'm thinking about will be expressed in words. That's what John is saying. He is is making this important statement here that when Jesus was among us as a man, he expressed what was going on in the mind of God. He told us the thoughts of God. He told us what was in the heart of God. Everything you see in Jesus, you see also the heart of God and that heart towards you. John's prologue is designed. The reason he writes these 18 verses is it stays in your mind and you, as you read it, all the subsequent stories that you read, keep this focus in your mind that God has come in a person and he has come and brought a message and that message is from his heart and it's meant for you and you and you. And so as you go through it, never again does he use through this whole gospel the word He never calls him the word again, only in those first 18 verses. But as he goes through it, we're meant to look at each scene and every teaching. And from the call of the first disciples to the changing of water to wine, right through to the forgiveness of the woman who's caught in adultery, to the confrontation with Pilate, to his death and resurrection, all of it expresses God in his fullness for you and for me in a word, Jesus. And I kind of think about it, you you guys can think about it this way. If, if, if someone is, is able to predict their death and resurrection and then pull that off, I think you should listen to them. I think it's a well worth just kind of going, man, I might need to comprehend this. So in verse 18, as you kind of look at this, he says, this is what God looks like when God is present in the flesh If you look at him, you see the living God. So in verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father. And he ends it, has made him known. You don't have to stand dumbfounded and wonder what matzah brai means. You don't have to be dumbfounded about what the word means. In it, God is saying, I love you, and I want to be with you. I want to speak to you, and I want you to be speaking to me. I want you to listen, and I will listen to you. Whatever is in your life, I want to be a part of. And sometimes he makes himself known in really what I call extraordinary ways. Sometimes his words grab you. I read this story this last week with uh, this release of the film Unbroken coming up. There's been some stories that have been coming out, and I found this interesting. In this story about this World War II hero and Olympic athlete and devout Christian, Louis Zamperini, his daughter Cynthia shares some things. In, in, in part of the story, she says, God has been planting seeds in Hollywood in what might seem like the most unlikely places Actress-turned-director Angelina Jolie has been open in the past about her disbelief in God. She's very, very forthright. No one, you don't really have to wonder often where she's coming from. In 2000, Angelina said, there doesn't need to be a place of, need to be a God for me. There is something in people that's spiritual, that's godlike, and that's good enough for me. Well, she, 
as a result of some of the difficulties she went through, she read that book, Unbroken, and she was so gripped by it and gripped by his life that she wanted to do the film. And she had gone to people and the directors about doing the film, and they kind of had it on the shelf for numbers of years, not wanting to do it because of how difficult it would be to make it. And she felt compelled that this is something I have to do. So she went out and set out to do it, and she met with Louis Zamperini after she had read that story, and she just became engrossed in, in, in who he was and his life and 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 how God was seen to be so present in him. And she spent lots of time with him. What was really interesting is she found out that Louis's house was just a few blocks from her. In fact, from his picture window, he could see her top of her house and he would pray for her. And he, she would then come up and spend hours and just talking and being with him, just trying to get to understand him more. But it is a miracle God sent her on the set that caught the attention of Angelina and many others, says Cynthia Zamperini. Angelina desperately needed the sun for a shoot in the very last scene of the movie. And it had been raining for days, and it rained nonstop. And that's when something truly amazing happened. Louis Zamperini's daughter, Cynthia, witnessed this miracle firsthand, and she says Angelina was not a person of faith and had never prayed before, but she found herself at the very last scene of the movie. They needed sunlight to shoot this very important scene, and there had been a storm that had been going on for quite some time. Angelina said at one point, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'll do what Louis would do. And she got on her knees and she prayed for a miracle. And Cynthia says, everybody saw it. It stopped raining. The sun came out. She said frantically to the crew, Angelina said, let's get this take. And they shot the take in the brilliance of sunlight. And when she said cut, Cynthia says, it started to rain again. And she goes on, Cynthia says, isn't the only sign that the seed had been planted in Angelina's heart? She's not making any claim, just saying a seed had been planted in her heart. There would have been a word spoken to her in some unusual way. But when Angelina heard that Louis Zamperini was on his deathbed, she rushed to the hospital. Sadly, she didn't make it in time to be with her hero who had just died. But when she saw Louis' family, Cynthia said that she pointed above saying, I know he's with us, I know he's there with God. The reporter writes, it seems pretty clear that all of this was in God's plan. Louis planted a seed. God sent a miracle, and someone so opposed to the idea of God proved, prayed to ask for help. And what I find is interesting is whatever happens with this, in some way, God has started a conversation with a person who was hungry for God with a word. And we get amazed at something like that, but the most amazing thing is not any little miraculous story that you might tell, but the greatest miracle of all, that Jesus himself entered into history in order that he could share and express to us the heart of God. And that is the coolest thing in the world. And you may be in a place, and you've been going for some time, going, I don't quite comprehend this. We come to Christmas. I like being with family sometimes. And I like the meal. And God might be saying to you right now, guess what? 
This whole story that you hear year after year, in some special way right now, the Spirit of God is maybe moving and working in your heart in a way that it hasn't before. And you're beginning to say, I want to understand, I want to comprehend, and I want to tell you something. God wants to be in conversation with you. God wants to be in conversation with you. He has spoken his word, and he is willing to speak his word to you again. He won't do it in order to prove himself. Faith is what you need. You need to begin to say, God, in faith, I will trust the fact you've spoken to me, and I am going to engage in conversation. I'm going to open my heart to you. I'm going to recognize my need of you. I'm going to recognize the fact that you, Jesus, came on the cross. I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I've blown it. I recognize my life can be messy, but would you speak to me? And he will. Now, some, as you think about this, you go, yeah, I, I kind of get this word, and man, I could stand up and I could cry and tell you about, here's what I want to share with you. You could be like a Louis Zamperini. Think about this for a second. Your life can be a word to someone else. The great gift of Christmas is not just the word to you, but the word through you to someone else. You get to be like Louis, a conversation starter. You get to be a conversation starter with the word of God to, to a person to someone else. And that's Christmas. That's what this word is. There will be people today leaving here still shrugging their shoulders. There will be people in the world today. There were people in Jesus' day. They were shrugging their shoulders and dumbfounded, but there were people who sought him and said, I want to understand. And God says this, if you're open and you receive me, I'll make my word understandable. I will reveal myself to you. That's, think about it, that's the miracle of Christmas.